What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We're going to start your Monday with some smiles. The Anti-Police Terror Project was able to work in partnership uh, with some amazing young folks and redistributed $3.5 million to black-led community organizations and families. We are joined this morning by one of those amazing folks. Good morning, Rahel. Good morning, Kat. <laughs> how, yes, how are you? you? I'm so good. I yeah, just appreciating you to calling celebration and so yeah, I'm doing good this morning. Awesome, Rael. So you, it was you and your partner in in all this, Asia Alman, um, both you community organizers and project man- managers of what ultimately we ended up calling Radical Redistribution Fund. And I'm just gonna harken us back to those early days. I remember I got a phone call, um, and Asia was working with uh, APT. He's Deputy Director James Birch on um, what what they're calling the reimagination lab at UC Berkeley, and said so we want they they want to talk to you about maybe um, it was Annie Annie my uh, uh, my mm-hmm. my assistant and conspirator in this actually that called I'm, I'm remembering it in real time, and they want to talk about redistributing this money and I was like yeah 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 three point five million dollars <laughs> yeah right okay I'll have the call. Um, and we got on the phone and I got to say, Rahel, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, but I was like, <laughs> who are these amazing young people? Who are these amazing young black people that are so put together and you all had, you know, the breakdown and ran the meeting and it was super powerful. Rahel, who are you? Talk to us about who you are and your connection to movement. And then I know the donors want to remain anonymous, but if you just talk about like the, you know, how they found you anyway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. Um, yeah, I am a, you know, I, I call myself a community organizer and facilitator because I, everything else that I do comes from that origin. I have been organizing uh, around black liberation and um, abolition um, for about, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, I found my organizing home in the Black Youth Project 100 in New York City, um, as well as with the Black LGBTQ Migrant Project, um, which is a national organization. Um, And I, yeah, I I ground all of my work in that um, and got to meet Asia actually through our um, collaborative uh, work at uh, the Black LGBTQ Migrant Project. Um, I found another and even more um, like-minded and equally passionate Black folks who were like, dreaming of a world where all black people are free and where borders um, detention and the police state are not an obstacle to our freedom and our thriving and our self-direction and self-determination. Um, and it was also through that work um, and through that, you know, commitment to black liberation that I was connected um, by a comrade to um, this couple who had come into some money about what um, Asia really, really well put um, a values uh, aligned couple who had come into a, a, a bit of wealth and knew that it was within their values to ensure that that wealth was redistributed and not hoarded the way that so much wealth is hoarded here in the Bay Area and across the country and across the world, right? Um, and so, yeah, they put us into touch. Um, we're like, these are folks who are thinking about, <laughs> you know, black liberation, thinking about moving outside of capitalist systems of hoarding and violence. And um, through that conversation, we were able to kind of present to them a few options, a few ways to um, to break free of the way that philanthropy and donor advised funds and other things really 
don't do redistribution, right? What they do is like they keep power where it was always situated and then they move funds in a way that maintain power and maintain the status quo. And we were committed to doing this project in a separate, in a way that was outside of that, that challenged that and that really broke that down. Um, yeah, and we're so excited to have that conversation with you and think about how we could collaborate really closely with APTP as an organization that we respect so much and that has built deep relationship and deep trust throughout um, its work, which we feel is like fundamental to any kind of radical redistribution or radical reimagination of the way things are done. And conversations we did have months <laughs> of them. Um, and you all built, we collectively built, but you all really mm -hmm. held the building uh, of this infrastructure. Talk a little bit about the conversations we had in terms of who mm -hmm. would get the money, why, the type of infrastructure, the hours that went into building <laughs> charts that we would highlight and unhighlight and shift and move. Um, talk a little bit about that process and and, yes. and the realities, right, of trying to do this while still engaging in movement work because, y'all, mm -hmm. that was a thing. Mm. Yes, absolutely. The world keeps going. And, yeah, you spoke to, like, the unsexy work of just trying to make sure that things are – transparent um, as well as radical, right, and making sure that we could follow it. So one thing that was really important to both Asia and I um, coming into this was that we were operating outside of the nonprofit industrial complex, right? So what that meant was that we didn't want to simply replicate the ways that philanthropy and, and, and other forms of, like, you know, uh, donor-advised funds and other forms of, like, what people would call charity rather than solidarity operate. So we thought it was really important to split the funds into three major streams of mutual aid, um, gifts to Black-led organizations, and gifts to individuals who are directly impacted by state violence. We arrived at this like really um, important infrastructure through lots of conversation about what would ground our work, right? What would be our grounding principles in this work and how we would move forward with those principles in mind. Um, key among those principles was uh, transparency internally and externally. So that meant making sure that we were documenting decisions, making sure that we were documenting how we moved through things, and making sure that it was very clear how how we were building this model, because we were definitely like flying the, flying, what is that, <laughs> the thing that's so tired by now, but like, you know, flying the plane as we built it. Um, another key um, value was also black self-determination in order to be decision makers in black movement's future. So what that meant was that we worked really closely with APTP's black leadership to make sure that when we started thinking about how we define mutual aid, what black-led organizations and how we, how we define that and how we um, ensure that the um, individual stream was also, you know, not adding burden to folks, right, was able to be really um, purely helpful. Um, we ensured that we centered black self-determination in that, that black folks are the experts in what we need um, and that each of us de deserves and needs self-determination to thrive. Um, the others were accessibility, so that meant that we determined early on that we did not want to create a prolonged and difficult application process, prolonged and difficult reporting process. Multiple black-led organizations that we talked to actually thanked us very specifically for that um, and were, you know, really, trans like, really clear in the fact that, like, so often 
the way that philanthropy works right now, half the organization's resources go towards justifying the need for the resources rather than doing the work that they're already doing. So we want to ensure that it was very accessible to the organizations and the individuals that um, we were working with. Um, another major um, principle as well was that we wanted to be accountable to those who were directly impacted. Um, so what that meant was that when we um, thought about the individual stream, there's not enough money in the world um, that really gets at the heart of the impacts of state violence on our people, right? And we wanted to ensure that we were able to be fully accountable to, the, to, to our folks in, in moving forward all three of these streams. Um, and that we were, yeah, like that we were making these decisions with all of that in mind and with bearing all of this um, accountability with a lot of, you know, with a lot of communication and collaboration and like being really willing to like move through those conversations rather than just hide from them or like go through the traditional way because that's the easiest way because it's, you know, it's an already traveled road. Um, so yeah, it was um, through those principles and through those values that we were able to make some key decisions such as like, how much would these gifts be? How would we make sure that we move the money uh, quickly and, and got to folks um, with no strings attached? How would we make sure that the individual stream, which I thought was like very, very powerful and very important, right? Like I just said, there's three streams. One was for mutual aid. The second stream was for Black-led organizations, and the third stream was for individuals and families directly impacted by state violence. We know how the systems of capitalism are set up to hurt those who are already uh, under-resourced and don't have enough, right? And so we had a lot of conversations and made a lot of decisions around how we would move in a way that ensured that there wasn't going to be undue burden on folks and also that we were able to um, stand behind and like really offer some guidance and some and some uh, support um, so that folks were um, yeah folks were able to come into conversation with us with knowing that we had them like we had their back and we were holding them down um, and doing some of that back background work some of that unsexy work in order to ensure that this fund it met its goals right um, of getting unrestricted no strings attached money to folks right away I want to, um, I'm excited we get to do this because we weren't sure we we're going to be able to get them on the line. They are not in the country right now, which I kind of love. Mm -hmm. We're joined by your partner and <laughs> all this, our partner in this, um, uh, and, and a, a, well, maybe I should announce it on the air. We have some exciting <laughs> news coming around Asian Almond, but yes. I'll just say for today, they are a community organizer and project manager of the Radical Redistribution Fund. Good morning, Asia. Good morning, Kat. I'm so glad I was able to join. Um, Rahel was killing it. I listened for a little bit. I was like, yes, on point, on point, on point. I knew you were going to think that. I was like, I, I need to bring Asia. And I was like, I know Asia well enough to know Asia's going, go Rahel, go Rahel. Because I really was. I was like, the yes. Way you all vibes. Asia, what do you want to add? We're, we we're celebrating uh, the Radical Redistribution Project, and I'm using this time to celebrate young black brilliance uh, in you <laughs> and Rahel and started this off just talking about nation. I've said this to both of you multiple times, just how impressed I, I was and, and remained uh, about how organized you all were and the infrastructure and the deep thought <laughs> and the planning and your care. Like you all handled this project with such care. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about that, Asia, right? Like, it felt often to me like you were sort of walking around with this very precious entity in your hands. Mm -hmm. And not only were you 
determined that you would never drop it, but man, you were like a mama lion if someone looked like they were coming for it in the wrong way. <laughs> Talk about the care that you walked, both of you walked uh, this project with. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for framing it like that because i that's something that Rahel and I talked about a lot from the very beginning um, when we were first approached by the couple. Um, and the way that we were approached is that we could have done anything to redistribute this money. You know, we could have decided to work directly with them in a way where, you know, we were sort of like wealth advisors or um, the, the folks who were helping them move the money directly from their bank accounts. And Rahel and I had several conversations about how to principally engage um, with wealth and how to make sure that we were collaborating deeply with um, the communities that we wanted the money to go um, right back to. And we, I think we maybe had like five or more conversations just revisiting our proposals, making new proposals, and thinking deeper and deeper about how to truly be in deep alignment with Black community in the Bay Area, not just um, in terms of giving the money directly, but actually in all parts of how we redistributed, like from the collaboration to who the money gets to. And I think that was the first um, bit of care that we put into the project when we decided that moving forward with APTP would be, you know, the manifestation of care and commitment um, to Black liberation um, and to Black people in the Bay Area. Um, but I also think another key facet of the care was how um, I want to say how delicately we worked with families impacted by state violence to get them their money. Um, I am bi-coastal in Brooklyn and in Oakland. Brooklyn is where I'm from. And I was in Brooklyn over the summer when we were redistributing the money to um, individuals impacted by state violence. And there were times where I would be on calls at like 10 p.m. because one of our families, you know, was having trouble accessing their bank accounts or was feeling really flustered um, about, you know, where the money was and wanted to talk about that. Or, you know, there were times where we had some elders who were receiving money who, you know, had broken hips and couldn't make it to the bank. And so we had to call our fundraising lead over at APTP to see if they could go um, to East Oakland to get get the check or to take them to the bank. And I'm on three-way because Shout I'm in Brooklyn Annie. making sure, right, <laughs> making sure that everything, you know, is going the way that it should be and that folks felt supported. And so, you know, we understood that there were major obstacles um, that organizations have to getting donations that were meaningful, but also that there are obstacles um, that our everyday folks and our families impacted by state violence, which includes economic violence as well, housing violence, um, the violence of having of, of being, you know, severely impacted by mental health struggles due to lack of resources are navigating. And so we knew that getting them the money meant also engaging those different facets of violence and engaging that with care and compassion and, and actual support. Um, and so that was, that was a key way I think we introduced care to. And I also want to highlight the care that we had for each other as a team. You know, sometimes when doing these complex projects, you know, you can miss the care that you need to have for your team. And I'm really appreciative um, that we didn't miss that. 
you know, we made sure mm-hmm. that we were checking in on each other. There were times mm-hmm. where we had to take breaks. You know, there were times that we had to switch up schedules. We had compassionate conversations amongst the APTP Black Leadership Team and Rahel and I. You know, things mm-hmm. happened and this work had to move forward. But that didn't mean that, you know, we couldn't still be whole people with, you know, real lives and real needs as we were moving this work forward. And so... Those were the three, I think, elements of care that really stood out for me in this project. This is so beautiful. Um, we're going to have to move on in a few minutes, but I do not want to let either of you go without you telling your favorite stories. So, you'll just see, you know, we, they <laughs> broke it down. So, <laughs> um, Asia was working, uh, Asia is who was on the line with me and sometimes without me because again it had to move mm-hmm. forward right when we would call mm-hmm. families Rahal uh, black little organization so Rahal I'm gonna start with you and then as you think be thinking mm-hmm. about it because we have to move a little quickly uh, uh, I'll mm-hmm. come to you for mm-hmm. your favorite story oh okay I should have had this but you know what I, I think I do um, this actually brings me back to one of my favorite Cat Brooks quotes right that all violence is state violence and one of the organizations that we got to make a gift to that is an organization that I learned a lot about and just feel so moved by is the Christopher Lavelle Jones Foundation. Um, and when we made that call um, to let Ms. Uh, Ms. Grisham know that you know we were we were making this gift, um, there was just there was just so much movement immediately, right? And there was like clearly all these ideas and all this work that was already happening, which I felt like was the biggest first of all moment of intersectionality right across all three streams really braided those streams together around families directly impacted and black-led organizations that are under-resourced and doing incredible work um and just it proved the fact that folks who are already doing the work know how to do the work what they need is the resources and how quickly she was she 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 was beyond overjoyed but also had like that next step and that our people are doing the work day in day out and the main thing to do with resources is ensure that they are going to our folks and in a meaningful way so that our folks can make the impact that they need to um and so that that moment following that thread um has, has was definitely one of my favorite moments um yeah 100 culminated in in uh Mama Brenda's second annual conference this weekend, uh, by the way. Yes. Um, all right, Asia, um, your, your turn, and then we're going to wrap it up, let you go back to Mexico, and Rahel, you go back to what I know <laughs> is a very busy life. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. This one is hard because you were on most of those calls, Kat, and, like, every one of them was emotional. <laughs> Let me just yes. say the full team was emotional. We were all crying. It was very hard to get <laughs> off of those calls. Um, but I'm actually going to highlight um, our call with Maria Moore, the sister of mm. Kayla Moore. Um, and I'm going to highlight that. So Kayla Moore uh, was a black trans woman um, living with schizophrenia, mental health struggles, who, um, you know, was, was killed by the police in 2013 and I'm going to highlight it twofold because I remember where I was when the incident happened I was just starting college I was just coming into myself as a black um, queer femme I was just tapping into to this work really um, and tapping into what was going on to black people around the country especially um, black queer and trans folks 
Um, and so that was my first call with this with Maria Moore ever. And I remember feeling very emotional getting on it. But also Maria is the sweetest, like sweet like sugar. <laughs> the sweetest yeah. person ever and had yeah. no idea why we were calling her. <laughs> yeah. Was completely like shook. <laughs> yeah. And I think like we had to repeat, you know, why we were calling maybe five times. <laughs> we shared yeah. the, t- yep. the um the money amount and was just so sweet. Um and just really taken aback. And um mm-hmm. The level of conviction that that she has to keep fighting for justice um, for her sister, the conversations that she's had to have, like within her family, um, to just raise consciousness about, you know, what it what it means to have like a trans sibling. I think just continues to touch my heart, um, and it was just wonderful working with her and her family um, to get them that money. So, shout out to uh, Maria and the family of Kayla Moore. Absolutely. um, All right, y'all. I've got to leave it there. Thank you so much. It has been quite the ride. Uh, I mean, APTP, Mm -hmm. you know, we give money probably every week to to something that a family member may need. But being able to do this project with you and give gifts that they were able to use, not for emergencies, but for love and care and Mm -hmm. rest. It's been a blessing working with you both. You all have good days, and I know we'll be talking soon. We've been speaking to Rahel Teka, a community organizer and project manager of the Radical Redistribution Fund, and her partner in Joy Asia Allman, a community organizer and also project manager of the Radical Redistribution Fund. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. Mm-hmm.